Hello, thank you for listening to Rapid ONG for Medical Students. My name is Professor Justin Clark, and I'm joined today by Dr. Helen Stevenson to discuss reversible contraception. What is contraception, Helen, and why is it important? Contraception is any treatment used by either men or women to protect against getting pregnant. It comes in various forms depending on the needs of the individual patient. Some forms also protect against contracting sexually transmitted diseases, while others have the added benefits of reducing menstrual blood loss and pain. It's important that contraception is readily available to protect against unwanted pregnancy and the emotional trauma this can cause a couple, as well as the complications that are associated with termination of unwanted pregnancies. How do I decide what contraception to recommend or prescribe? The key is to take a full medical history and explore their preferences and expectations. The choice of contraceptive methods should be tailored to the needs of the woman and her partner. Okay, so what information should we obtain from the history? Well, it's important to find out whether there are any contraindications to certain methods of, contra um, to, of contraception. Their age, parity, fertility, fertility desires, past medical history, family history, social history and drug history, including allergies and previous contraception and sexual history are particularly relevant. For example, women over the age of 35 who smoke, or those with a personal or strong family history of venous thromboembolism, cardiovascular disease or breast cancer, would generally avoid the oestrogen-containing contraceptions. Women who have future fertility desires should avoid sterilisation. It's also important to appreciate that some medications act as enzyme inducers and will interfere with the contraceptive effects of the combined oral contraceptive pill. I've heard that some methods of contraception can also provide additional health benefits. Yes, that's true. Barrier methods can reduce the risk of sexually transmitted infections, or STIs for short. The combined oral contraceptive helps to treat menstrual problems. It can reduce heavy periods, regulate erratic cycles, and minimise dysmenorrhea and symptoms of premenstrual syndrome. It can also be useful to treat her hirsutism and acne. Long-acting progesterone-containing methods can induce amenorrhea and treat chronic pelvic pain. You also mentioned patient preferences. Yeah, personal, cultural and religious factors should also be taken into account. For example, a woman who admits to difficulty remembering to take medication daily may prefer a long-acting contraceptive method. Younger, healthy, fertile women may desire highly effective contraceptive methods, whereas those with medical comorbidities may prefer non-hormonal contraceptive methods. Those women in a stable sexual relationship may prefer spontaneity and want to avoid the inconvenience of barrier contraception. And couples who are sure they want no more children may want a permanent solution, which would be male or female sterilisation. OK, I can see that the patient history is very important. Does clinical examination have a role as well? Most women seeking contraception are healthy and simply want to avoid a pregnancy. However, it's a good idea to check their weight, height and blood pressure before prescribing hormonal contraception. The consultation is also an opportunity to discuss sexual health, make sure cervical screening is up to date, and to offer a screen for sexually transmitted diseases if appropriate. A pelvic examination may be indicated if the woman complains of gynaecological problems, such as pelvic pain or abnormal bleeding. So once you've clinically evaluated the woman, you can then offer her a variety of contraceptive options? That's correct. Broadly speaking, there are non-hormonal and hormonal methods of reversible contraception. Permanent fertility control can also be provided using male or female methods of sterilisation. It's probably a good idea to go through these categories of contraception one by one. OK, can we start with non-hormonal methods? Well, firstly, there's barrier contraception alone. This means using male or female condoms. Barriers avoid the potential side effects of hormonal contraception or the need for health professional involvement, such as prescribing hormones, fitting into uterine devices or administrating hormonal injections or implants. 
Barrier contraception is user-dependent and less effective than other contraceptive methods, with a failure rate of around 2 to 15 per 100 women. However, importantly, and in contrast to all other contraceptive methods, male and female condoms protect against sexually transmitted infections. Diaphragms and cervical caps are also classed as barrier methods of contraception, but they're less widely used nowadays. A diaphragm is a flexible device that the woman places in the upper vagina to occlude the cervix. A cervical cap is a thimble-shaped device that fits over the cervix. The size varies according to the size and shape of the cervix, and spermicides are used additionally to increase efficacy. So are all non-hormonal methods of contraception barrier methods? No. The other commonly used non-hormonal contraceptive is the copper coil. This is a type of interuterine device, or IUD for short. They're plastic, small plastic devices covered with copper, as this metal increases contraceptive effectiveness. The most commonly used device is T-shaped, but other varieties are available. The copper IUD requires a vaginal examination by a specially trained doctor or nurse to insert it into the uterine cavity. It's generally straightforward and a quick procedure, but can be more difficult to fit in women who have not had a vaginal delivery, because the cervical canal is narrower in these women. The copper IUD acts by preventing fertilisation through inhibiting effects on the ovum, spermatozoa and the cervical mucus. In addition, an inflammatory reaction in the endometrium prevents implantation of the embryo. Uh, how effective is the copper coil? The copper IUD is very effective, with fewer than one in a hundred women getting pregnant during one year of use. Copper IUDs are effective for between five to ten years, and in most cases they don't need replacing until that time. Unlike barrier methods of contraception, copper IUDs have the contraceptive advantage of being independent of sexual intercourse. They're a type of LARC, which is sh short for long-acting reversible contraception, and so are useful for women wanting effective medium to long-term contraception, as well as for women wanting to space their families out. But unlike barrier methods, copper IUDs do not protect against STIs, and indeed an STI screen should be offered to all women who are identified as being at risk from the clinical history. I've heard that copper IUDs can be used as a form of emergency contraception. Yes, it can be used following unprotected sexual intercourse if it's inserted within five days of the date of expected ovulation, and in this way it prevents fertilisation or implantation. OK, Helen, that's clear. Can you now describe the available hormonal methods of contraception? Of course. Firstly, we have the combined oral contraceptive pill. This is a tablet containing the hormones oestrogen and progesterone, and it's taken every day for 21 days, followed by a seven-day break, during which a withdrawal will bleed like a period will happen. It works mainly by inhibiting follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH for short, and luteinizing hormone, or LH, production. And this suppresses ovarian follicle maturation and prevents ovulation from occurring. This makes the combined oral contraceptive very effective, with a contraceptive failure rate as low as roughly 0.3 to 2 for every 100 compliant women using it. Gynaecologists also use the combined oral contraceptive to, put, to treat common gynaecological problems like heavy, irregular or painful periods and premenstrual symptoms. This is because the exogenous hormones in the combined pill regulate the menstrual cycle, avoiding significant fluctuations in hormone level and thinning the endometrium, which reduces menstrual bleeding and painful uterine muscular contractions. OK, so this method seems to have many advantages. Is it suitable for all women? The simplicity, effectiveness and safety of the combined oral contraceptive make it the contraceptive choice for most women under the age of 30. However, there are some serious potential side effects, and these include venous thromboembolism, stroke and breast cancer. These complications are very unlikely, and for most women of reproductive age, the benefits of the combined pill outweigh any disadvantages. However, there are some contraindications to prescribing the combined pill, and these include migraines with aura, a body mass index over 40, age over 35 if they're a smoker of more than 15 cigarettes a day, hypertension, 
uh, previous history of venous thromboembolism, diabetes, liver disease, previous stroke or ischemic heart disease. Are there other alternative methods of hormonal contraceptive? Yeah, there is a variety of progesterone-only containing contraceptions, and these all prevent fertilisation through thickening the cervical mucus. There's an oral tablet, a progesterone-only pill, which has a failure rate of between 0.5 and 5 per 100 women. That progesterone-only pill needs to be taken within the same three hours every day, otherwise contraceptive effectiveness is compromised. However, the newer generation progesterone-only pill, Cerazet, tends to prevent ovulation, and so it has a 12-hour window like the combined oral contraceptive. That progesterone-only pill is one that needs to be taken every day without a break. Okay, so the progesterone-only oral pill needs to be taken every day. But I think you said there were other types of progesterone-containing contraceptives. Are these long-acting reversible contraceptives I've heard of? Yes, we call them LARCs for short. These progesterone-containing contraceptives include intramuscular injection, known as Depo-Provera, which is the administration of the progesterone medroxyprogesterone acetate, and it's given every three months. It's very effective, and like all LARCs, has the advantage of being independent of sexual intercourse. The failure rate is less than 0.5 per 100 women, but women do need to be aware that there's a delay in regaining their fertility once the injections are stopped. Progesterone can also be given as a subcutaneous implant, which is a small flexible tube that requires a minor surgical outpatient procedure to insert subcutaneously into the upper arm. The most common implant is called Nexplanon, and this one has a duration of action of three years, after which a minor procedure needs to be taken to remove the implant and replace it if desired. In addition to adversely thickening the cervical mucus, the implant also prevents ovulation in most women, and so it's a very effective with a failure rate of less than one women, woman in a thousand. So some sort of injection or implant is needed for long-acting progesterone-containing contraceptives? Not always. There's also another route of administration of long-acting progesterone, where it's given directly into the uterine cavity. This is known as the Mirena interuterine system. Okay, so what is the Mirena? The Mirena contains the synthetic progesterone levonorgestrel, which is released into the uterus and can stay in situ for five years before it needs replacement. This works as a contraceptive by thickening cervical mucus and preventing implantation. It has a very low contraceptive failure rate of less than 0.1 per 1,100 women users. The Mirena, or more correctly, the levonorgestrel containing interuterine system, also has other gynecological benefits because of its action in opposing the action of oestrogen, which induces the suppression of endometrial tissue. GPs and gynaecologists use it to treat heavy menstrual bleeding, period pain and chronic pelvic pain, including endometriosis, which is a condition where endometrial glands and stroma are found in the pelvic cavity, as well as treating endometrial hyperplasia, which means excessive thickening of the endometrial lining, which is sometimes a precursor to endometrial cancer. Okay, thanks, Helen. I'm now beginning to appreciate that hormonal contraceptives do not just prevent pregnancy, but have potential benefits for treating common gynaecological symptoms. You have mentioned the potential problems with the oestrogen-containing combined oral contraceptive pill. Are there similar risks and side effects with progesterone-containing contraceptives? That's a good question. In general, progesterone-containing contraceptives are very safe, and they're used in most women with contraindications to taking the combined oral contraceptive. However, side effects include erratic bleeding, mood disturbance, fluctuations in weight, headaches and acne. For most women who experience these side effects, they will settle down in time, especially abnormal bleeding patterns, but they should be warned that it may take up to six months. Thank you, Helen. Um, that leads nicely into our next podcast, which will discuss uh, the use of irreversible, that is permanent, contraception.